0: Welcome to Medicare for All Explained. This podcast will enlighten our listeners and dispel the distortions that surround Medicare for All. Medicare for All Explained is produced in collaboration with Physicians for a National Health Program and is hosted and produced by Joe Sparks. I'm your host, Joe Sparks. This is Episode 2, and the title is The 5 E's. My guest today is Dr. Richard Bruno. Dr. Bruno is a family physician who cares for uninsured people at a federally qualified health center in Baltimore. He has served on the boards of Physicians for a National Health Program, the American Academy of Family Physicians, National Physicians Alliance, American Association of Public Health Physicians, and MedKai, the Maryland State Medical Society. He has led workshops, conferences, rallies, and actions for health justice. His main clinical focuses are on the pair of pandemics, obesity, and opioids, with involvement in community public health interventions and policies, including sugary drinks interventions at local corner stores and naloxone trainings on needle exchange vans. He attained a bachelor's degree from Princeton University Doctorate of Medicine from Oregon Health and Science University and a Master of Public Health from the John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. He graduated from the Combined Family and Preventive Medicine Residency Program at John Hopkins and MedStar, a nonprofit community-based health system serving the Baltimore, Washington region. He and his wife of 12 years have two children and love hiking, biking, and cooking together. Dr. Richard Bruno, welcome to Medicare for All Explained. Oh,
1: thanks very much, Joe, and please call me Richard.
0: Thank you. So my first question is, please describe what made you decide to become a physician.
1: Well, I've wanted to be a physician since I was a young man. I used to be a camp counselor at a kid's camp for kids with disabilities in Arkansas. And while I was taking care of kids who had spina bifida or cancer or autism, I was seeing how for one week out of the year, they were able to act like regular kids and roast marshmallows and uh, go out on canoes on the lake. And it was just a really wonderful thing to be able to take care of these young kids. But at the same time, I was also seeing the struggles and the sacrifices that their parents oftentimes had to make. One couple having to sell their house in order to pay for the chemotherapy for their young child with cancer. And so I was seeing these injustices in our healthcare system. And even though I loved taking care of these kids and I felt like I would want to be a physician to take care of my kids of all kinds, I realized that the system was broken and we really had to fix things. And so I decided to get into medicine, not only to be a healer, but to also work on social justice and health justice issues.
0: You've noticed the problems in our healthcare system for a long time. Right. Describe your training and what you saw and how did this affect your outlook? Well,
1: I think it really came to a point of illumination when I went to medical school and I had just learned that my friend from high school who had been very sick for a long time had passed away from a disease, a brain tumor that probably would not have killed him if he had just had health insurance at the time. And so for me, these great injustices I kept seeing when the patients that I took care of uh, throughout medical school and I kept thinking, why aren't we doing more to fix the system and help people who are falling through the cracks every single day. And I came across a paper uh, written by some uh, researchers and physicians who are part of a group called Physicians for a National Health Program. And they looked at the data around the country, and they estimated that about 44,000 uninsured Americans were dying unnecessarily every year simply by being uninsured. And this kept echoing in the back of my mind as I took care of uninsured people in Portland, Oregon, who kept telling me how difficult it was for them to get the care that they needed. And so I learned more about the organization. I joined it as a first-year medical student. I went to their national conferences. I met others who were also passionate about trying to fix the system. And we decided to form an organization called Students for a National Health Program because we recognized that our nursing student colleagues, our our colleagues in dental school and public health school, were also feeling that they wanted to help as well. And so actually, it's been going on now for about eight years. Uh, The organization is growing hundreds and thousands of students from around the country coming together to say, we're not going to stand around and let this broken system continue to wreck the lives of the people we're trying to take care of, and we're going to work as hard as we can to fix it.
0: One of the questions I have is, given your experiences, did this affect what position you chose or what medical clinic and or hospital you chose to work for?
1: Oh, absolutely, Joe. I mean, I had always known that I wanted to take care of Folks who were underserved were not able to get the care that they needed. And so I decided I would go into family medicine as a specialty because I get to take care of everybody in my community and just try and be the kind of doctor that my community needs. And for me, working in an underserved population here in Baltimore City has been very rewarding because I'm able to help folks who have really been neglected and shut out by a system that's not working for them.
0: And in terms of your experiences, how do you think that a Medicare-for-all system, a single-payer system, would help these folks?
1: Well, I tell you, number one, it would make it very, it would be just a godsend for so many of my patients who are really struggling with a lot of the copays and the deductibles and the premiums, uh, the monthly premiums that are going up every single year. And so for so many patients who are really trying to take care of their families and also pay their medical bills. Uh, it becomes very, very difficult and it's becoming increasingly difficult year to year. So what a single-payer system would do would sort of level the playing field. You know, we would pay a little more in our taxes, our Medicare that comes out of our taxes, our payroll taxes. Every paycheck would be increased a little bit. We would not need to pay any copays or deductibles or premiums. And so I think we, you know, people would find instant relief in that respect from having these unknown costs and these rising costs that tend to be very financially stressful on so many people.
0: One of the issues that people are talking about is a buy-in for Medicare. Do you think that would work and why or why not?
1: Well, I think a buy-in for Medicare really is just sort of trying to chip away at the system without really addressing the fundamental problem which is that our system is fragmented. We have hundreds of different health care plans from dozens of different health companies and health insurance companies, and each one of them is trying to cut services and raise profits. And in a system like that, it's very difficult for people to navigate. It's very difficult for them to maintain coverage in a system where if they lose their job, they also lose their insurance and then are out of luck.
0: So you don't think a Medicare buy-in would work? Could you give me an example of the harm caused by a fragmented health care system if you have the wrong plan?
1: I have one patient who, a 50-year-old gentleman I've been seeing over the past few months, came down with very, very high blood pressures that ended up uh, putting kidneys into shock, and he had to go on dialysis. He was unable to work anymore, so he lost his job. Uh, therefore, he lost his health insurance. While he was in the hospital for a few weeks, he lost his fiance who left him, and then he lost his house. So he felt like the rug had been pulled out from under him. And so he he comes to see me every few weeks, and he's just so depressed because he has no meaning to his life anymore. He's living with his adult children. He's feeling very, very depressed, and he feels like he worked hard his whole life, and he has nothing to show for it now.
0: Before I ask my next question, I would like to remind listeners that Medicare for All is even better than traditional Medicare because it would eliminate deductibles, copays, and coinsurance for medical care and prescriptions, along with providing benefits for dental and vision. Richard, one of the things I've heard is that doctors spend a large part of their time dealing with insurance companies. Do you spend time dealing with insurance companies?
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> Joe, so much of my day is spent wrestling with, arguing with, uh, begging health insurance companies to pay for therapies and treatments that I feel like my patients deserve. I was just on the phone today, this afternoon after clinic. I stayed an extra half hour after clinic with one of my nurses on the phone trying to figure out how we were going to get this patient her medication that she needed. She had just come out of the hospital. She's uh, 68 years old. She has insurance. And she went to the hospital for pneumonia. She's home now and she's still having shortness of breath. She only has one of the two inhalers that she needs for her to be, you know, the maximum therapy. And one of these inhalers costs $25. And she says, Dr. Bruno, I just don't have the $25 right now. I won't have it uh, until next week. And so but what I have to do is figure out, you know, is there another inhaler that's equivalent? Is it cheaper? How can I find my patient? You know, this a cheaper version of a medication just so that she can prevent her from going back to the hospital again. Uh, these kinds of things happen all the time.
0: So, for the lack of a twenty-five-dollar inhaler, not only is this person suffering, but she may have to go back to the hospital, making healthcare more expensive for all of us. Richard, do you have any other examples of the harm done by our fragmented healthcare system?
1: Uh, another great example is the fact that so many of my patients who come in with musculoskeletal pain, back pain, uh, any other kind of physical pain, uh, who come in and maybe have gotten some oxycodone in the emergency room or for a friend, they come in and they say, Dr. Bruno, I'm in pain. This medication help me. Can you give me some more of this? And I have to explain to them how I think this is probably not the best idea. It's not the best way to treat their pain. Uh but there's other options, other alternatives besides opioids that may help with their pain. And so I try to write for maybe a topical NSAID or a lidocaine patch. And as soon as I put the prescription in, the pharmacy sends it back and says, This medication is not covered. Uh you have to put fill out a prior authorization, which is, you know, forms and forms and forms, calls and calls and calls. And so I end up having to call the insurance company, and I try and work my way up the chain as high as I can to the director or the medical director or the chief medical officer for the organization. And then finally, if I can get somebody on the phone after a few days of playing phone tag, I will ask them point blank, I will say, you you realize we have an opioid crisis in our country right now. It's easy for me to write an oxycodone prescription for this patient, but if I try to write for something, a non-opioid pain therapy for this patient, you don't cover it. So I'm begging you, please put these medications on your formulary, so that you can, so that we, you know, this patient can get some better relief for their pain without the risk of having uh, to be addicted or maybe thrown back into an addiction that already exists. And unfortunately, it sort of falls on deaf ears. You know, this is something that is a systemic problem. These cheap medications are not paid for by insurance companies, and so therefore, maybe my patient has gone off and gotten some more oxycodone from from someone off the street. Uh, maybe they have um, gone back to the emergency room. But the point is, is that their their pain is untreated. They're trying to, to go and find other ways. And if insurance companies would simply put these types of medications on their formularies or cover these kind of medications, um, it would do a lot better to help finding this opioid crisis that we have in our country right now.
0: I would like to say that I find it appalling to learn that the insurance companies are making the opioid crisis worse.
1: Well, for that particular example, the point is is that the insurance companies are looking at it from a cost standpoint. They're saying, we're not going to pay for a more expensive medication, even though it's less addictive and less likely to cause harm to the patient. They're not willing to consider it because they're only looking at the bottom line. They're not looking at the the social repercussions downstream of addiction. And so, you know, it just goes to show you how money focused these insurance companies are. Uh, these private health insurance companies. And and honestly, I don't think they care.
0: Since we were speaking about treating pain, have you also noticed that there is a lot of pain and suffering because people cannot get non-life-threatening conditions treated?
1: Oh, absolutely. I see it all the time. Patients who have slow-growing or chronic conditions that are sort of festering, patients who go undiagnosed with diabetes, who end up getting wounds on their feet and end up having to have their foot amputated before they're even diagnosed with diabetes. Uh, these kinds of problems are, are rampant throughout our society and healthcare access is one of the, the main issues, being able to access a physician and, and somebody who can take care of you through any part of your life, any, any issue that's coming down the line. These are problems that I think we really
0: need to address head-on.
1: And universal healthcare, Medicare for all, a single-payer system, for me, uh, made the most sense.
0: Don't you wish that you could do what is medically necessary, and what is in the best interest of the patient.
1: I think that's what every provider would like to be able to do.
0: And not have to spend time, if you'll pardon my little joke, but it's true, having to spend time with our deny care system.
1: (laughs) Right. That's right. I, I did not go to medical school to learn how to argue with insurance companies over the phone. I went to take care of my patients.
0: Speaking of dealing with insurance companies over the phone, do the representatives have any medical training?
1: Oh, (laughs) no, Joe, not at all. You know, so many of the folks, the representatives from the insurance companies on the phone have no medical training at all. And they're simply just clicking buttons on a computer program. So they'll ask me, you know, have we tried this or have we done this? And, you know, they'll click the buttons and then they'll say, nope, your person, your patient does not qualify to get this type of medication uh, paid for, and you're out of luck. And it just feels so inhuman the way that they have no interest in learning about why the patient is in that situation. Uh, they're just simply there to protect the moneyed interests of the organization.
0: One of the things I think that's important also, we've been focusing on the human element, which of course is the most important issue. But a Medicare for All system would save the country lots of money.
1: Well, I know that there's been great debate on the national stage. The Congressional Budget Office has looked at what the savings would be. You have various institutions who have estimated what particular bills would do, you know, from Senator Bernie Sanders' bill, which is Senate Bill 1804, and the similar House bill, which is H.R. 676, and and how those would, would be able to save money over the next 10 years. And pretty much across the board, you know, there's there's savings to be found. And I think that not only is it fiscally responsible to move toward a, a more financially feasible system, many uncalculable costs of just people who are not stressed knowing that they can take whatever job they they want, you know, that they can feel the freedom of having the ability to go on vacation and not have to worry about incurring some sort of -of out-of-network cost simply because they're not in a place where their health insurance company covers care. You know, there's so many psychological burdens on people because our system is so fragmented. So instantly if we had, you know, Medicare for all type system. I think it would free people up from the yoke of having financial burdens, you know, from the the monthly premium to the co-pays to the, uh, to the deductibles. You know, a lot of folks take out high deductible plans because uh, it comes with a lower premium, but you know, at any point they could get hit by a truck and have to pay $5,000 just to get care. And so, you know, these, these kinds of things I think are untenable and in my opinion, unethical uh, to put people through this kind of stress when there's a
0: better way. One of the best things we could do for healthcare would be the Medicare for All. As we discussed, not only would that help people in terms of the financial and to get the medical care they need, but doctors could actually do the work that they were trained for instead of fighting insurance companies.
1: Right. Um, I'd like to think about the five E's. The five E's are like a it's an acronym that I use to try and uh, explain to people why I think a Medicare for All system would be far superior to our current system. And some of the E's we've already kind of talked about already, but I'll just go ahead and lay it out there if that's okay.
0: Oh, that'd be great.
1: Uh, so the first E is ethical. You know, a, a single payer system and a Medicare for all system would would be more ethical. It's it's something that our our modern society uh, should not have to punish people for being sick. It's also true that in our country, you know, you can get a lawyer appointed to you if you get accused of a crime, but if you come down with a disease that you didn't want or ask for. You don't necessarily get a free doctor appointed to you. So, an ethical society view would be one in which everyone is able to get the care that they need. And so, I think that's the first E. It really is very striking. The second, of course, is the economical issue that we've discussed already. Uh, the problems with making people pay when they're sick is just tragic. When you know someone gets hurt and they have to end up paying, and they have to maybe lose work because of their injury. And they lose even more pay. You know, we're kicking people while they're down. An the economical system that is more economically fair, you know, would be the medical care for all system uh, where there are no premiums or co-pays or deductibles and where really people know that they're paying out of their payroll tax every paycheck and they know that they'll be able to get the care that they need when they need it. The third E is efficient. So we've talked about these inefficiencies, you know, these problems going back and forth with insurance companies, providers struggling to get the care that they need for their patients. So if we took away the the privatized incentive that really just incentivizes money and bringing money back to their shareholders, if we eliminated the private health insurance companies, uh, we would make the system much more efficient. Uh, We know from uh, Medicare data that Medicare operates with an overhead of about 3%. Private health insurance companies are at least triple that. Uh, 15 20 sometimes 25% overhead. So these are highly inefficient uh, systems. we would be much better to uh, have a single-payer system. The fourth E is an equitable system. So this is something where we decide that as a society, we're not going to let anybody fall through the cracks anymore. Uh, we're going to be able to give the poorest folks the ability to access the same type of care that the richest folks do. And I think leveling that playing field makes a more equitable system and, and allows everyone to be able to have access and get the care that they need. Now, the fifth E is an encouraging system. And this kind of gets to the thought that those sort of like uncalculable costs of the system that I kind of described earlier. This encourages people to be able to do the things that they want, to take the job that they want, not just because it has health insurance, but because it's something that they love. These kinds of freedoms from not always knowing if you may be bankrupted if you come down with some kind of disease, not worrying about having to lose your job and your health insurance uh, if you become too sick uh, to work. So these kinds of freedoms uh, are the encouraging part of the Medicare for All system. And, I, and so I'll just say them again, ethical, economical, efficient, equitable, and encouraging.
0: I think those are great takeaways. We lose so much productivity from our current healthcare system, and I think people, once they would experience a single-payer system, would really be thrilled with it. Look how the attitudes changed just with the Affordable Care Act once people saw its benefits. Those benefits are a small part, I think, of what a Medicare-for-all system would provide. Agreed.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've gone on GoFundMe, and I've looked. I've searched for medical bills. If you, if you do that, you'll see 1,017,572 people who are literally begging strangers for money to help with their medical problems. We live in a society that, that, that's just neglecting these people. And until we actually fight and win a Medicare for all type of system, then we're going to be continually
0: letting these people down. Again, another great takeaway. And Richard, would you have anything else that you'd like to add? Sure, you know, sometimes, Joe, people
1: push back when I talk about Medicare for all. Some people have this notion that, well, why should I have to pay for that guy? Because he's just going to smoke and drink and he's not going to take care of himself. He needs to take some personal responsibility. You know, that's the cure for our healthcare. And, you know, I tell people, we already decided as a country in 1965 that we were going to take care of some of the most vulnerable population, our elderly and our aging population. And we decided with the passage of Medicare that anyone over 65 will be able to get care. And and what we've done is we've said, this is not charity that we're giving. This is solidarity. This is saying, I want to help pay into a system that people can access when they need it, because I would want the same thing if I got hit by a truck tomorrow. I think if we think about it as not charity, but solidarity, you know, this is our country coming together and saying, we're going to take care of everybody because that's what you would want for yourself. And I think that might resonate with folks a little bit better. And if I could just say, you know, there's just such a wonderful groundswell of folks who are coming out in favor of Medicare for All, you know, just in the past year. Uh, you know, the latest Reuters poll shows that 72% of uh democrats support uh no 72% of, of of people nationwide support a medicare for all system 80% of democrats and 52% of republicans and so you've seen many many uh people who are running for office this year who are on a single payer platform talking about medicare for all and i think it behooves anybody who's listening to this podcast to talk to your representative talk to your senator and ask them to please support Medicare for All, because until we get the political will uh, behind this, we really have to have a single payer nationwide. So that's the overall goal. And so please do what you can to help support it uh, with your elected officials uh, so that they know how you feel on the issue.
0: And along that point, people want a system that works. And as we discuss, the current system is not working. And that's another reason why we need Medicare for All. Richard. Thank you so much for being here. You have been listening to Medicare for All Explained. Information about this podcast can be found at our website, medicareforallexplained.org. The music for this show is Super Bubbly by Jesse Spillane. The logo was created by Lily Sparks. Thank you for listening.